0: Hello, welcome. My name's Adam. If we had a chance to meet. I'm glad you're here. I'm having fun in this series. I hope you're having fun in this series if you've been here. If you're not, if it's your first time today, we hope you have fun in this series today with us as well. Week three, we've been talking about finding your people. Now, if you've missed one of the first two messages, I would encourage you to go back and watch that at some point. vonforest.com, Vaughn Forest YouTube channel, because we teach in series, not just sermons. We're all kind of tied one uh, to the next. And here's kind of what we've been talking about in this series. Sometimes, Sometimes in our effort to talk about our one-on-one relationship with the Lord, sometimes in our effort to talk about the importance of being together, which by the way, it's awesome to see so many of you here together on our campus today. We've a ton of people in here at 9:30. We got a ton of people in here at 11. If you're joining us online today, we're glad you're joining us as a church family with us online today. It's important for us to do that. But sometimes, in our effort to focus on the one-on-one relationship, the, the effort to focus on being together in large gatherings like this, we forget that there's this third component to our faith, the one another. So all over the New Testament, the fellowship, the relationships. The New Testament word is koinonia. That's a fun word to say. The importance of having friends in our life that also walk with the Lord. And if we don't have those people in our life, life is going to be challenging. And the Lord never intended for you to get through this thing called life alone. That's why He gave us each other. And We've been talking about the importance of that in this series. Let me go ahead and kind of jump right in today. We're gonna to have some fun, a little different of a message. Let me give you the title, and we'll talk about why we're doing it this way, all right? We are going to compare and contrast two different groups of friends today. The title is Job's Friends versus the Paralytics Friends, all right? Some message notes, insert bulletin. Go ahead and get those out, all right? If you're on our campus, if you're joining us online, you can find your message notes inside the Vaughn Forest Church app. Or if you're on VaughnForce.com, you can click right here on the page and open those up. And if you look at the message notes, you're going to feel overwhelmed, right? There's a lot of blanks there. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. We'll get to those here in just a second. But we're going to compare and contrast two different groups of friends today. Job, Old Testament character, paralytic guy we're going to see today. We find him in the New Testament. And both of them had a group of friends, and yet the way that their friends acted with them were totally different, and I think there's a lot there for us to see as it pertains to finding Finding our people. So let me give you some observations, all right? Three big observations. I did not put these in your notes. Maybe you want to jot them down somewhere. Here's the first one Job and the paralytic were both in terrible situations. Let me think I can take about 60 seconds and summarize these. Maybe you've never heard of either of these two guys, right? Job. Is an entire book in the Old Testament and it is really long. It's a super long book and it tells a pretty unique account. Job is a very unique account in God's Word. You don't really see this pattern show up over and over in the Bible. It's pretty unique to Job. And here's kind of the situation. God is pleased with Job, and Satan basically says to God one day, well, of course you're pleased with Job. Of course he worships worships you. You give him all this stuff. You bless him all the time. And if you remove those blessings from his life, I bet he would turn on you. The only reason he worships you is because of what you do for him. And God says, all right, well, I'll let you test him. Now, you can't kill him, but you can test him. And so what you see through the book of Job is Job enduring this test that he loses everything. He loses his kids. He loses his wealth. He loses his health, but he doesn't die. It's a really terrible account. It's a really bad situation. That's Job. Now, we get into the New Testament, in Mark chapter 2, we meet a guy who's paralyzed. We don't really know why he's paralyzed, but some scholars think he might have actually done something, perhaps even sinful, that had led to him being paralyzed, that maybe he hadn't been paralyzed From birth. Now we'll talk about that a little bit later in the message today, but needless to say, his terrible situation is that he's paralyzed. Job in the Old Testament being afflicted, paralytic in the New Testament, he can't walk. Here's the second observation both had friends come to them, and that's a good thing. When you go through life's difficulties, it is good to know that you have friends who will be there. For you. But this is actually where the similarity ends. Because what we're going to see is even though both guys have friends, the way the friends act are totally different, which is our third big observation. One set of friends was harmful, one set of friends was helpful. Just because you're there doesn't necessarily mean that you are being. Helpful, all right? So we kind of can see the picture. We got two guys, one of the Old Testament, one of the New Testament. They both had friends. We're going to compare and contrast that. But let me give you two big ideas of why I chose to kind of do the message this way. And this is where we're going to get kind of practical. When it comes to finding your people, it is important to have friends like the paralytic had, not like Job had. So there you go. There's the big surprise, okay? Job's friends are not good. We're going to see that in the message today. The paralytic's friends are. And when you go through life's challenges, it's really important that you can find your people who are going to act like the paralytics friends acted. We're going to see that today. And let me just say this up top. One of the most common things that I have observed over the years, my wife and I will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary in January. I've been in full-time ministry for 22 years. So I've just picked up on a few things along the way. Is that when people are going through really difficult circumstances, oftentimes The difference on how they get through that circumstance is nothing more than the people they were listening to. Morgan and I talk about this a lot. We've seen this play out over and over in marriages, Christian marriages. People who love Jesus, they're married, they're going through a difficult season in their marriage. And what we've observed over the years is that sometimes when a married couple is going through a difficult season, that the husband has godly friends other men who walk with Jesus. The wife has godly friends, other ladies who walk with Jesus, and they spend time with these friends. And those friends give them good, godly counsel, encouragement. It doesn't mean that all of the marriage's problems get solved overnight, but oftentimes it's that godly counsel and that godly encouragement that allows the married couple to kind of get their marriage back on track. And all these years later, they're still married. Not a perfect marriage, but they didn't quit on their marriage. Conversely, we've seen the same thing. Godly, Christian couple, people who love Jesus, going through a difficult circumstance. The difference is the husband, his buddies don't walk with the Lord. The wife, her girlfriends don't walk with the Lord. And they're spending time with these folks, and the guidance that they are getting is not biblical. It's not godly. It does not provide encouragement. And I can't tell you how many times we have observed that those marriages end. What was the difference? The voices they were listening to. The two couples can go through the exact same situation. One couple has their people. People who walk with Jesus to help them get through it. The other couple doesn't have their people. The people they have aren't pointing them towards God's ways the marriage ends. It doesn't have to be that way in marriage. It could be that way in any area of your life. Whether it's parenting, career, finances, health, whatever area of life you're in where you're facing a challenge, the people that you have that are guiding you through that oftentimes make the difference on how you come out on the other side. So when it comes to life's challenges, we need to have friends like the paralytic had. And then here's the second big idea. When it comes to being a friend, it's important to be like the friends of the paralytic not like the friends of Job. So this message has two applications. The series is called Find Your People. So we're going to talk about the importance of making sure you have these kind of people in your life. But we tell our kids this, right? What do we tell our kids? If you want to make friends, you've got to be a friend. Church, this message matters for those of us as well who are called to be friends. That you're gonna have friends in your life, perhaps even friends here in this church. They're gonna go through difficult things. And when they do, what we're gonna see from the message today is that we are called to be friends like the friends of the paralytic and not fall into the trap of being friends like Job's friends. So look at your message notes. Let me tell you how we formatted this today, okay? What we're gonna do is we're gonna go through and I'm gonna point out three differences between the two friends. We are comparing and contrasting, okay? We're going to see three differences. Here's how Job's friends handled this situation. Here's how the paralytic's friends handled the situation. And then each difference has an application. The goal of pointing out the differences isn't just to learn the differences. The goal of pointing out the differences is to lead us to the application for what? For the two things I just talked about. Applying how we find these people in our lives. Applying how we can be that person for others in their lives. All right, here we go. First difference. Hopefully you're taking notes today. You can jot this down. Job's friends blamed him for his circumstances. They blamed him for his circumstances. Now, I told you a minute ago what Job was going through and why he was going through it. But in his friend's mind, there's three of them. I'm not going to give you their names because they're kind of confusing and we would start chasing rabbits on their names, okay? So let's stick with me here for a second, okay? In their way of thinking, Job could not have been facing what he was facing unless he had done something to deserve it. Job must have done something wrong, and now God is punishing him. That's good old-fashioned karma. Now the word karma doesn't pop up in the book of Job, but there's still a lot of people who think that way today. That if something bad is happening in your life, it must be because you did something to deserve it, and God is getting back at you. This is how Job's friends saw his situation. So let's go to a passage where we see this, Job chapter 4. This is one of his friends talking. Here's what he says to Job. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger they are no more. Job, you're the one who brought this trouble into your life. That's what this guy is saying in this passage. Now, let's contrast that then with the paralytics friends. What do they say? The paralytics friends, they cared for him in his circumstances. Again, two guys. They're both in really bad situation, really bad circumstances. One group of friends says, Job, you are to blame for your circumstances. The other group of friends, there's four of them, they care for their paralyzed friend and his circumstance. Let's go to the passage, Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So context, this is the height of Jesus' public ministry. This is when Jesus is really popular. He shows up. He's in a house. So many people show up to hear Jesus teach that they fill up the house. They spill out to the area surrounding the house. Verse 3, Some men came, bringing to him, Jesus, a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. They cared for their friend. Their friend's paralyzed. Jesus is in town. They've heard what Jesus can do, and they decide, we're going to do something about our friend's situation. Why? Because we care for him. Now, here's the application I want you to jot down as we compare and contrast these. First application for today, care over conclusions. You see what I mean by conclusions? Conclusions are when we look at someone's life and we try to figure out how they got here. So we're looking into their past and we're kind of trying to figure out, we're trying to dissect, we're trying to back up a little bit and trace their steps and then conclude, here's how you ended up in this situation. Here's how your marriage got to this place. Here's how you got here with your career, okay? That's what Job's buddies did. They looked at his situation, and they concluded something. And here's the problem. Their conclusion was incorrect. They are more interested in trying to figure out how Job got here than caring for the fact that Job... Is here Now contrast that with the four guys in the New Testament. They look at their buddy who's a paralytic. And again, I told you, some scholars believe he had actually done something to contribute to this. And yet we don't see that as any part of the story. Why they're more concerned about caring for him in his situation than trying to figure out how he got here. And here's the thing, church. When it comes to applying this, that matters. Do you have people in your life who care for you? They care for you. Because, see, if someone doesn't care for you, they're not going to be able to help you figure out how you got here appropriately. There is an appropriate time to retrace your steps. You ever lost something, had to retrace your steps? You ever tell your kids that? Just retrace your steps. That never works with my kids. I don't know if it works with yours, okay? But you ever had to do that before? Hey, just retrace your steps. Sometimes in life, we have to retrace our steps. How did we get here. Do you know what's really helpful when you're trying to retrace your steps and answer the question, how did I get here? Having a loving friend who can help you in that process. But see, unless they care for you, they might reach the wrong conclusions. They might project onto you a situation from their life. They might project onto you a situation from someone else's life. So what you're looking for is someone who first and foremost cares for you. Now, once that's been established, yes. Yes. Let's back it up a minute. How did we get here? Let's retrace some steps and see what we can learn from that. And then when it comes to being that type of friend, if you've got a friend that's going through a challenging situation, don't show up thinking you know how they got there. There's a good chance there's part of the story you don't know. And before you're quick to conclude... First, lead with care. It's a huge difference in the story between the way these two different sets of friends acted, right? Let me give you the second big difference we see from our account today. Job's friends. Obstacles or hardships or unexpected challenges are permanent, and they cannot be Overcome. See, the way that Job's friends had kind of framed all this up in their mind, that was the conclusion they reached. I mean, Job, if you've done something to bring all of this into your life and God's doing this to you, this is pretty much your situation. Like, there's nothing about what you're going through that can change. All they could see was the hardships, the obstacles, and they wrongly concluded, Job, this is now your new reality. We see this from how they spoke to him. So let's go back to our passage. Job chapter 15, one of his friends, Listen to me, Job, and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen. What the wise have declared, hiding nothing received from their ancestors, to whom alone the land was given, when no foreigners moved among them. All his days, the wicked man suffers torment. I mean, what a phrase. All his days. That doesn't leave any wiggle room at all. That word all in the Hebrew means the same thing it means in English. All. They're basically saying, hey, Job, here's your new situation. All your days, for the rest of your life, you're going to suffer torment. The ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. They are looking at Job, and they are wrongly concluding this is your new reality. Hardships, obstacles, Job, nothing's is going to change. You brought this into your life, and now this is what you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your days. Now, let's contrast that to the paralytics friends. Okay, look what they said obstacles or hardships or unexpected challenges are temporary, and they can be overcome. It's just a totally different way of looking at things. I mean, to start with, the guy's paralyzed. I mean, that's a pretty big obstacle. And some people would have looked at someone who's paralyzed, and well, I guess that's just your reality. I mean, I guess that's just permanent. That's a pretty big hardship. That's a pretty big obstacle to overcome, and yet his friends didn't look at it that way. For some reason, they saw something here that was temporary in nature and that could be overcome. So let's go to the passage as we see how they did this. Mark chapter 2, verse 4. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Time out. I was giving them credit for looking at the friend and not seeing it permanent for him being paralyzed. But actually, once they show up to bring him to Jesus, what happens? They run into another obstacle. So it's already enough, in my opinion, to look at a paralyzed guy and go, no, nah, I don't think that's permanent. But then when they finally get him there to Jesus, there's so many people that have gathered around, they can't get to Jesus. So let's finish reading the passage here. Since they couldn't get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So, if you don't know how houses were built in the first century back then, they're kind of like clay, dirt, straw, you know, all that stuff. And it was, you see, a really technical explanation here, all that stuff, right? And it was hardened and it had a flat roof. And kind of built into the structure of the home were some stairs that would go up to the top of the roof. And this was kind of the place where people could hang out, you know, eat dinner, play checkers. I don't know if they played checkers back then. Kind of crackerberry. Cracker Barrel. You sit on the rocking chairs. Anyway, I don't know if they did that, but this would be a place that you would hang out. Now, think about this for a second from these guys' perspective. They show up, for them, and they are carrying their paralyzed buddy on a map. And they look at the situation, and here's what one of them says. Did anybody bring a shovel? Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably not the first thing that will pop into my head. We are seeing something about these guys. They just don't quit. They look at obstacles and it just doesn't get in the way. To the point where they take, this could not have been easy, that they take their buddy up the stairs, they dig a hole through the roof. Now, imagine for a second if you're in the house. Like, you're in the house and you're listening to Jesus teach. I've often wondered, what was Jesus teaching on? Like, I think it would have been awesome if Jesus was teaching on the storms of life, right? And Jesus was like, you know, sometimes when lightning strikes, and right by that time they hit the roof, and everybody thought, oh my gosh, that's just neither here nor there. I don't know what Jesus was teaching on, right? He could have been teaching on anything. But the point is, there's a hole in the roof. There's dirt in Jesus' beard, and everybody's trying to figure out what is going on. And then they lower the guy down. Now, I'm not good at physics, okay? So this would not have been good. I don't know how they did. If it was a pulley system, if they all counted to three, but somehow they got the, here are a group of friends. Listen, here's the point. They just won't take no for an answer. Every obstacle they see, they're just like temporary. Every obstacle they see, they're like, that's okay, we'll figure it out. What's going on there? Okay, well, here's the, the application. I think this is what's going on here. These guys just have a different perspective. In fact, they've got a better perspective than the prognosis of their situation, so, the previous point, I said care over conclusions. What are conclusions? You're looking back into the past and you're presuming you know how we got here. Prognosis is the opposite. You're looking into the future and you're assuming you know how things are going to go. This is where we get prognosticators. I mean, prognosticators are on TV these days. I mean, everybody can tell us what's going to happen, right? Everybody's an expert. Everybody can tell you what the next 6, 12, 18 months of your life are going to look like in a particular area, whether it's the economy or this or that or the other. Have we not learned anything in the last two and a half years, right? I mean, if we haven't learned that in the last two and a half years, what have we learned? Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, okay? But everybody's an expert. And guess what? There are people who are experts on your life too. And they will prognosticate about your life. They will tell you, well, this is where that's headed. You lay out a challenge, you lay out a problem, and they will begin to prognosticate about where things are going. And this one's tricky. Because sometimes in the moment, that can actually seem helpful. But here's the problem with that. Very few people can prognosticate accurately all angles of the situation. Do you know who can actually help you look at all angles of a situation? People who have good perspective. People who have good perspective. You ever been in a situation where you lay out a challenge to a friend, and they only tell you the good of what could happen? Their prognosis is, oh, it'll be awesome. But they never point out like what could go wrong. So you're thinking, this is fantastic. They told me it's going to go great. And then you start down the path and it doesn't go so great. Why? Because they didn't have proper perspective. You've had a friend, you lay out a, a situation for them, and all they do is point out everything that could go wrong. And you're like, well, I guess I'm not supposed to do that. Well, no, maybe you were supposed to do that, but they were being a prognosticator with lacking proper perspective and they didn't point out all angles of the situation. Sometimes it's helpful to have someone else who can give you a better perspective. You're looking at an obstacle and you've got a godly friend who goes, no, that's temporary. It feels permanent to you, but from another person's perspective, all of a sudden you think, wait a second, maybe that's not as permanent as I thought. One of the questions that we'll ask each other sometimes as a leadership team, we're praying through decisions around here as a church, and it's a really helpful question. We will ask one another, whether it's me or Hardy or Chad or any of our other pastors, Matt, our our governance board, here's the question we'll ask. What are the unintended consequences of this decision? You ever been bitten by an unintended consequence? Like you saw something that needed to move forward, but there was an unintended consequence that you didn't think through, and it bit you further down the road? Well, how do you see unintended consequences before they happen? Perspective. Perspective. Do you have friends in your life who have godly wisdom that can give you perspective? Do you have friends in your life that when you're looking at something that doesn't seem like there's a way forward, they go, well, all we need is a shovel and we can dig a hole in the roof. Do you have friends like that? Do you, are you that kind of friend? When someone comes to you with a challenge, are you quick to prognosticate and go ahead and tell them how everything's going to happen when you don't really know? When what you're probably doing is projecting onto them what's happened in your life when that might have anything to do with their life? Do you love them enough to offer perspective, biblical perspective? Sometimes the biblical perspective is you might need to slow down. Sometimes the biblical perspective is you might need to speed up. See, we all need these kind of people in our lives. And what I love about this story is you see two groups of friends, one of them modeling it incredibly poorly, and one of them modeling it incredibly well. Do you have friends in your life that can give you perspective? Do you have friends in your life that can help you see things another way? That's a really powerful thing. When you're seeing a situation one way, and all of a sudden someone who loves Jesus gives you a different way of looking at a challenge. It's a gift. And if you don't have people in your life that can do that, you're missing out, right? Third application. third difference, rather. We'll get to the application here in a second. We got to talk about the difference first, okay? Job's friends, turn on God. Look what he did to you. This is basically the theme of Job. Is they're trying to get Job to just own what he did. Hey, Job, if you'll just own what you did, this can all be over. And the whole time, Job's like, but I didn't do anything to God to bring this into my life, okay? But they're just telling that over and over. Now, his wife, Job's wife, we haven't mentioned her yet. She's a real gem, all right? So let me tell you what she said to Job, okay? Job chapter 2, verse 9. This is his wife. Job's wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Are you kidding me? You will never see Job 2.9 on a bumper sticker. I promise you right now, okay? (laughs) You go to any Christian bookstore in America, they will not have a t-shirt with Job 29 on it, right? It will not be knit hanging over somebody's mantle in their home, Job 29. Not a verse you will ever see, right? His wife saying, "Curse God and die." That's the kind of guidance he's getting. I mean, can you imagine being Job? You're already getting it from your buddies, and here's your wife going, "I don't know what your deal is. You should curse God and die." Unbelievable. Everybody's trying to tell Job, "Just turn on God, and this will all be over." It's a really long book. And when you get towards the end, Job actually does begin to say to God, "Um, hey God, could you kind of help me out a little bit here? Kind of show me what's going on. In fact, he does go to God and say that. So let me kind of give you a few verses to kind of give some clarity for how the story ends up wrapping up. So now we're all the way in chapter 30, and here's what Job says. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Now, if you want to have a really fun Bible study, Read God's response to Job. It's several chapters, and it, it's, it's a good passage of God's Word to read. And I don't have time to go into all of it today, but God does answer Job. God does give Job some clarity. It's not exactly the clarity that Job was looking for, but God does answer his questions. Okay, And then after doing that, God provides greater clarity to the situation. So let's go to Job chapter 42. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, that's one of Job's buddies, okay? Told you their names are a little interesting. So here's what God says to one of Job's friends. I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. God says, listen, you guys were getting this wrong the whole time. You guys thought you had this figured out and you were wrong. And Job continued to speak truth about me the entire time. And then look how this finally ends in verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, come on. I mean, that verse, when I read it every time, it just just gets me. I'm like, seriously, Lord? Like, all the things these guys did and said to Job, like, Job prayed for them? Doesn't it kind of remind you of Jesus in the New Testament where he says, hey, pray for your enemies? Why is that? Why why is it good for Job to pray for these guys? Why does Jesus want us to pray for our enemies? Because ultimately it's about what's going on in here. You don't want bitterness to take root in your heart, resentment to take root in your heart. At some point, you have to pray and release those folks to the Lord. And this is what Job did. It's an incredible example for us. I mean, we could stop there, but there's a comma. So after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he'd had before. So the story has a good ending. That Job ends up getting back everything he had had. God's Word says twice as much as he had before. And don't miss this. Job's in a category of one. If you and I think we could go through something like Job went through and have friends that are doing that to us the whole time and come out of this just like Job, we're missing the entire point of the story. Okay? Job's in a category of one. Can you imagine having to go through what Job went through and having to deal, what he had to deal with his friends, okay? We're not wired to be able to handle stuff like that. So I told you Job's a super unique account in God's Word. So let's go to the paralytic, all right? We're comparing and contrasting. The paralytic's friends, they never told their buddy to turn on God. Instead, they said, let's turn to Jesus. Look what he can do for you. There's a big difference between turning on God and thinking what did God do to me and turning to Jesus and asking, "Hey, what could he do for me? What could God do in this situation? What happens if Jesus shows up?" That's basically what we see in the story. So let's kind of conclude that passage for today, Mark 2 Mark 2 verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? The four friends. It's not the faith of the paralytic. It's actually the faith of the friends. And Jesus gives them credit for it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're the paralyzed guy, this is not what you're wanting to hear. The whole reason for being brought to Jesus was so that you could be healed, so that you could walk again. And you're paralyzed and you've been lowered through a roof and you're laying there and Jesus looks over you and you're thinking, This is the moment. I'm going to get to walk. And Jesus says, your sons are forgiven. This is why your sins are forgiven. This is why some scholars think that maybe he had done something that had led, that was sinful, that had led to him being paralyzed. We don't really know if that's the case or not. I actually don't think that's really the point. I think it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, it's an interesting sidebar. Perhaps he did. Perhaps he didn't. So what's Jesus up to here? Jesus is trying to communicate a greater principle than just, I can actually heal this guy. Jesus is trying to make sure that everybody who's there that day actually knows who Jesus is. Because the Pharisees and other religious leaders of the day kept attacking Jesus when Jesus would claim to be God's son. And Jesus was not trying to be a mystery while he was here on earth. Jesus doesn't want to be a mystery to you today. Jesus isn't interested in you wondering how you get to God. Jesus has been abundantly clear. The way you get to God is through me. I'm God's son, and I came to die on the cross in your place, and I defeated death through the resurrection. And when you have a relationship with me, you're reconciled to God. You have purpose here in your life now, and you have eternity promised with God forever. Jesus has never tried to be a mystery to anyone. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, I think Jesus knew what was about to happen. These religious leaders were going to begin to question that. How on earth could Jesus do this? In fact, that's what they did. But here's a really interesting part of the story. They didn't verbalize that out loud. They says they were thinking this. So Jesus does like this Jedi mind trick where he literally speaks to what they are thinking after hearing Jesus tell the paralytic, your sins have been forgiven. So look at the conversation that then ensues. Jesus looks at these guys who have been thinking this and says, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, Take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Don't miss that phrase, Son of Man. Son of Man was a phrase from the Old Testament that was synonymous with the Messiah. Anybody there that day that would have heard the phrase son of man knew exactly what it meant. So when Jesus said, I want you to know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins, here's what he's telling everybody in the room. I am the Messiah you've been looking for. I'm not trying to be a mystery to you. I have that authority. And so he made sure everybody understood who he was, which is why he started by telling this guy that your sins are forgiven. The verse continues. He then said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Incredible. So what's the application? Third application today. Invite over insight. Do you know what the word insight means? It means stir it up. It just means stir it up a little bit. Not in a good way. Do you have friends in your life that encourage you to invite Jesus into your situations, into your challenges, into your problems, or do you have friends in your life they just kind of like to incite, they poke at you, they stir it up, you're facing a problem and they say things like, why do you keep going back to God? Why are you so interested in all this God stuff? It doesn't seem like anything good's happening to you. Here's, here's, a, here's a question people ask, why do you keep going back to that church? Why are you connecting with those people? They're a bunch of hypocrites anyway, and they just like to incite things. And if you're not careful before long, those thoughts can begin to go in, in your mind. They can begin to lead you off track. Do you have friends in your life that when it comes to spiritual things or things of God or things with your faith, they just, they just get a dig in when they can. Do you have friends like that in your life? You need to distance yourself from those friends. You need to have people in your life that here's the encouragement they give to you. Hey, why don't we invite Jesus into this situation? You're facing a problem. You're facing a challenge. You're not sure what to do. You've got to have friends in your life. And listen, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but you're going to have to have friends in your life who literally remind you to invite Jesus into the situation. I would love to tell you that as your pastor, every time I've ever gone through a challenge in life, the first thought I've had is, I should fall on my knees and pray. I'd be lying to you if I told you that. That when I've gone through some really difficult things in my life, the emotions of it are so real that I can't see straight. I can't think straight. I can't trust my own feelings. When you go through something that's incredibly difficult, it's amazing how you have to have people remind you of the simplest of truths. And I've had friends in my life over the years who when I was walking through some difficult things would say to me, We need to invite Jesus into this situation. And the moment they said it, I knew they were right. I'm like, I've told people to do that. But there's power with another brother in Christ praying with me and saying, let's invite Jesus into this situation. And if you don't have people in your life when things are going wrong to look at you and say, all right, look, I hear you. It ain't good. This isn't really a great situation. I don't know what to do other than stop right now and pray together and give this to the Lord. Did you know that that's actually the most helpful thing someone could do for you? And so many times, as friends, we feel the pressure to solve someone else's problem or to give them great advice or to give them great clarity or give them great guidance. Did you know that as a friend, the greatest thing you can do for another friend is just say, slow down, let's ask Jesus to come into the situation. He's the only one that can bear the weight of this burden anyway. Let's just go ahead and give it to Him. Let's invite Jesus into this. Because who knows what can happen once He shows up. See, when we invite Jesus into situations, it's not like we're making Jesus aware of the situation. Jesus was already fully aware of what's going on. But when we invite Jesus into the situation, here's what we're reminded of. It's His strength at work that matters, not ours. Here's what we're reminded of. I said this at Easter two years ago. Because Jesus walked out of the tomb on that first resurrection Sunday, we live in a world where impossible no longer exists. Don't tell me what can't happen. Because Jesus walked out of a tomb. And when you invite a resurrected Savior into your scenario, let me tell you what's up impossible no longer exists. But so many times we try to solve it, so many times we try to move forward without Him, and so many times, here's the key. We're trying to figure this out on our own, and we don't have the people around us with those simple reminders. Hey, we need to invite Jesus into this. Would you bow your head with me this morning as we pray together? And what I want to do this morning as we pray together is I want to invite Jesus into your situation. I know that when we gather here every single week, everybody's got a lot of things going on. And if you've got a lot of things going on this morning, I want you to be encouraged you're not alone that what unites us is actually common struggles, common pain, common hardships. And so many times we just forget to invite Jesus into that situation. And so Jesus, as we come to you this morning, that's my prayer. In a room like this, there's hundreds of challenges, problems, heartaches, circumstances that your people are walking through. So together this morning, collectively, corporately as a church family, we want to declare that we need you in our situations that we need your strength in our circumstances, that we don't want to try to figure this out on our own. Because we believe that when you walk into the room, a paralyzed man can get up and walk out of that room. Jesus, we believe that when you get involved in the details of what's going on, it changes moving forward. And we're not going to limit what you can do because of our lack of belief. And Lord, for many of us, sometimes that's just the honest declaration that we need a friend to remind us of that. So Lord, if we don't have those people in our lives, point us in that direction. Help us to make friends at this church. Lord, help us to be that type of friend for others. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.